0: and Welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week it's 3 2 1, go with Cosmo Macero. Then Jeremy Crockford joins me for an interview with Marleesha Aho from SEIU 1199, talking about the incredible role healthcare workers have been playing in the past year. And last up, two minutes with Tom.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of 321GO on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. Joining me here on 321GO is Cayenne Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on Air. Cayenne, how are you? I'm you all right. You your knee. I
0: did. There's, there's a hole in my knee from my desk,
1: but the, must,
0: but the show must go on.
1: The show must go on. Think, it could be a workplace this, injury.
0: Yeah, does this qualify for a workplace
1: call? We were on thirteen thousand and eleven hundred days until you messed it up. <laughs> a lot of workplace injury in the uh, highly dangerous <laughs> environment of a public affairs, uh, remote public affairs firm. Anyway, the dog eat dog world. Indeed, good to be talking to you. Um, so up this week, we're going to talk about a few different things. I want to start with, um, an interesting new program out of the Newton Massachusetts food pantry it's a community fridge it's, it's essentially a food pantry resource but but it's a it is literally a community refrigerator um, located conveniently uh, and I know where this is actually 420 Watertown Street at the parking lot of the central drapery and dry cleaning store uh, there is a community refrigerator they call it a free fridge or a fridge for short, I'm not sure if I would call it that, but uh, food staples. Yeah, it's tough to say, kind of. Uh, produce, milk, eggs, bread, some prepared meals. Um, it's there for families and people in need. What do you think?
0: I think it's amazing. Um, you know, we know, first of all, from our work uh, with the Salvation Army, how much the need for meals has gone up this year, especially yes. in the COVID pandemic, all throughout the state. Um I also work for the Coalition for Homeless Individuals. I know how much their needs have gone up. It is drastic. These, uh, you know, communities are struggling. Communities, not often like we would assume, Newton might not be a community where people automatically think there's a huge need, but what the COVID pandemic has really brought to bear is that families who have never had to ask for help before are now having to ask for help due to job loss or whatever the circumstances are. and in this case, you talk about a community just really coming together to support those that that need it. This was a labor of love, um, and I thought it was interesting that one of the hardest things was just finding a place for it. Someone yeah. just had to step up and say, "Yes, I will."
1: I yeah, will putting, you. yeah, exactly, because you got to have access to it, and um, it's great. This this local business stepped up and said, "Let's uh, let's host this thing—the free uh, community refrigerator." Uh, and you're right that, you know, sadly, the pandemic for many households has been sort of the great equalizer uh, among those in need, um, people uh, people who've never thought they would experience this kind um, uh, of need are relying on resources and food pantries and organizations like the Salvation Army and others. Um, so this is a, a, net, a, nearly, a network of nearly 30 businesses have committed to donating food. Ten local organizations are coordinating volunteers. Um, it's, um, it's a great program and I, and I have to imagine it, it is a model that will be replicated elsewhere over time.
0: I would think so. I also, th- you know, not to sound incredibly cheesy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's such a model for The possibilities and what can exist, and what people can make happen when they really just come together and figure out what's the need and how can we answer it. This is not an incredibly high tech or complicated concept. This is a place, a large enough place, an area, and a large enough refrigerator to store donated goods for people who need it. I mean, that's not difficult, but it took all these people working together to do it. And, you know, what a what a lovely thing!
1: Yeah, it's great. All right, that's the community fridge, community refrigerator in Newton, fridge. fridge the fridge supported and uh, sponsored by the Newton Food Pantry. All right, let's move on to um, something more global or at least uh, international. Piers Morgan, um, th- related to the um, yet another story related to the British Royals and, uh, and Harry and Megan. And, um, yeah, you know, I have sort of two specific, um, takeaways from, uh, this latest wrinkle with it, which, which basically had Piers Morgan storming off the set of, of the show, uh, uh, good morning Britain and, and, and then leaving the show. Um, but I, but I want to hear your perspectives first, because I know, I know you've got, uh, you know, a certain view of him as a broadcaster, as a interviewer slash journalist, if you want to call him that. Um, so go ahead.
0: I mean, I don't think he's ever really exited, exhibited himself to be the kindest and most empathetic uh, person on television. Um, and that's OK. There's a role for everyone to play. I do think that the tolerance for direct just meanness. um, yeah is, is not there anymore, nor should it be. Um, I'm, you know, people want to mock and it's good television and it's all in jest, but in this particular situation, we're talking about a woman who came on television and admitted to not wanting to live, um, that her life got so bad at a point that she was scared to be left alone and didn't know what she would do if left to her own devices, And he mocked her openly. Um, And I think if that's not unacceptable, I don't know what is. Uh, The idea that just because you are rich, famous, or royal, that you don't have mental health problems um, is just ridiculous. It also minimizes and insults millions of people around the world who struggle with mental health issues. Um, And not only was that just unacceptable and nasty, when Someone pushed back on him on his show. He got up like a spoiled brat and stormed off the set. Which, come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, absolutely. It was a uh, a little bit of a temper tantrum.
0: Huge temper tantrum. And for a long time, he had really gotten away with that. Um, And clearly this was the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm sure he will find a home somewhere else. Um, but the idea that we are putting an end to openly bullying people on television or via media, um, probably not the worst thing for our society and, and human beings everywhere.
1: Yeah, I, I've always thought of him as a little bit of a, of the you know, sort of British alter, uh, alternative or the British version of, um, of, of Bill O'Reilly and, and, and there's a guy that's been, that's, that's had his fall also. Um, actually, Bill O'Reilly is actually a pretty, is a really good interviewer, but same often would employ some of the same <clears throat> types of uh, kind of bullying tactics. What got me about this, and we spent a little time in our last program talking about um, in the walk up to that Meghan Markle and Harry interview, in which the revelations were were, were indeed quite remarkable. Um, it, you know, the, <clears throat> I don't think we can really understand as Americans how um, potentially divisive, how polarizing, how much the royal family really does play a part in the life of, of, of people in Britain and in the UK. You know, it, it's it's really important in that it's a cultural thing. And how w- whichever side you come down on, your opinion is is. Uh, is going to be really, really strong, and 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 I think that this is another manifestation of that. We there's just really nothing like that here, you know. Um, and, and I and it's and it's amazing that um, he would take that action, storm off the show, and, and 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 really be so aggressive in defense of of the royal family, you know. Whereas I think we'd be more apt to be like whatever or you know the royal family are public figures there's public figures are supposed to be uh criticized or lampooned, right so i it's, it's just i don't know that we can appreciate what's like to have the royal family as part of your culture
0: i think it can be very polarizing for people who who live there um who have strong feelings about whether or not there's still a place for it or not um the one caveat i will say is I don't think the problem was that he was defending the royal family. I think the problem was that he was insulting a young woman who came on television and at one point being treated so poorly by the press and the world that she wanted to die. Um, And that he is, in keeping with his sort of arrogance, thought, I can do this, storm off the set, and there won't be any consequences. And- yeah, I
1: mean, he, he's—I mean, I don't believe a word she says. I wouldn't believe it if she gave me the weather report. He's—he is unrelenting and basically really cruel in his comments. Uh, and he, let me tell you something—I—I I, I don't believe for a second that someone would upend their life in such a public way, be, you know, subject yourself knowingly to further or a new level of sort of question or ridicule. It, it, because they they don't really because it wasn't really untenable right life must have been so completely unlivable that that they had to that they had to make that change and it, I, I'm amazed by it I expressed that I expressed that on our last conversation on this I'm amazed that that could be the case but it it, it clearly was
0: yeah so I don't know he'll land somewhere this isn't going to be the last of him yeah we'll see
1: My my other two cents on this is, again, unlike here in the U.S., the Office of Communications, the U.K. media, a government media regulator, that's scary. They launched an investigation into Good Morning Britain because 40,000 people wrote in complaining about his, uh, you know, abhorrent comments on Meghan Markle. Completely understandable. But now there's like a media regulator, you know, uh, uh, fussing around because that's the law in in the U.K. and I get it. I'm just glad it's no, not the lawyer. And... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about soap. Okay. Um, Question. Do you have normal skin? I don't know. Neither do I. What is normal? What is, what is normal skin? There is, 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 is that, no is it,
0: normal.
1: Is abnormal skin a skin that has a skin condition? Is it, a skin, that, is it skin that's dry? Is it skin that's clammy? I don't know. Well, Dove has made a decision based on, as you were telling me, some pretty significant research, to remove the word "normal" from its packaging because I believe that it for for its history has been marketed as Dove soap for normal skin.
0: Yes. Yeah, so Unilever um, owns Dove, Axe, Silk, Vaseline, among other brands. Uh, did An enormous amount of research, they commissioned a 10,000-person study across nine countries, including Brazil, China, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, and the United States, um, to really ask about how they're labeling and branding their products. Apparently, 56% of participants thought that the beauty industry made people feel excluded, uh, and 7 in 10 people agreed that the word, quote-unquote, normal, could have negative effects. and they are going to remove the word normal from all of their beauty products, which is, um, to our point of starting this off, what is normal? What does it mean? Um, it is, I think, very much in keeping with a lo- what a lot of brands are doing right now, which is some self-exploration, um, looking inside, thinking about what are the things. We talked about Trader Joe's a few months ago, sort of having that whole, do we? are we naming our products correctly? Um, there are words and phrases and assumptions that have been made for a long time, and a lot of companies are saying, "Are we doing this right?" and taking the time um, to invest in the research to find out if they're marketing properly. And kudos to them. And also, it should be met. It is not cheap to undergo <laughs> a change like this for um, for a company to change their branding and how they are writing about all of their products that are, you know on shelves so no normal there is no normal that's the conclusion
1: it's they're going to change it to for the new normal skin (laughs) it's the new for
0: the not so normal normal
1: yeah i don't know um i i i I don't feel strongly either way i'm I'm not offended by it but it does seem limiting but it really just seems like well how do you define normal skin i think what they mean is
0: Is your skin oily? Is it dry, or is it just yeah somewhere in the middle?
1: Or this this product is not for you know skin conditions or problem skin, you know? Or is that that's another one? You know what's 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 a problem? What's a problem? You know,
2: I don't know.
0: Maybe my freckles are a problem. I don't (laughs) think so. Yeah, I'm fine with them. But yeah, so I think it is. Indicative of what a lot of companies are starting to do in, I think, in the last year, especially. So many words, euphemisms, phrases, things that have long been accepted um, are just no longer being accepted. And companies that are taking the time to invest and look inward before they're figuring out what they're saying outward, never a bad idea. Probably something most companies should undergo periodically. because. It changes, and yeah. uh, I think we are in a time of change, and that's this is one company that's sort
1: of reflecting that. All right. Makes sense. Nothing abnormal about that. Doing some market research. All right, Cayenne. Now I can see when you're laughing. This is good. <laughs> uh, all right. That's going to do it I'll for another in. edition. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321GO. Our program is recorded remotely, maybe not forever, but still for now. Different locations around the Commonwealth and the USA. Our producer is Catherine O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by Marlisha Aho and uh, my colleague, Jeremy Crockford. Hello, everybody. How are you? Uh, Marleisha- Great. Thanks for having us. No, thank Happy you anniversary. For- oh, yes. Oh, well, I didn't mention Marlisha is joining us from 1199 SEIU, uh, which represents just some of the most amazing frontline workers here in Massachusetts. Um, and as Jeremy said, this week marks the anniversary, the anniversary of one year uh, since the state of emergency declaration for the COVID pandemic. Um, I don't think it's something that we all thought we would be marking ever when this first started, but here we are. <laughs> um, with that in mind, obviously, front care, frontline workers, uh, nurses, doctors, PCAs, home health care, aides. Everyone who is working in the metal field has really been deemed a hero, um, particularly at the beginning of of the pandemic, and lauded for their work, um, which was incredible and deserving, but they also have encountered a lot of obstacles along the way. Um, Some, I think, have been well-known, others not so much. Can you talk a little bit about SEIU, the workers you represent, and sort of their experiences that you've been hearing or witnessing over the last year?
3: So thank you. So yes, we're marking this, I think, unfortunate anniversary, but it's an opportunity to not just pause and reflect, but think about how we're moving forward. And so at 1199, we represent over 70,000 healthcare and home care workers, and they you know, provide care in hospitals, health centers, nursing homes, and in private homes. And throughout this past year, they've finally been recognized for the heroes that they've always been. But it's you know it's now more at the front for the, uh, forefront of this public health crisis, and so when we think about this past year, COVID has not only provided new bear, new obstacles for workers to deal with and navigate, um, but it's exposed um, issues that they've always faced prior to COVID, and you know won't go away just because we have a vaccine that is addressing the public health crisis, and so. And you know, just thinking about the past year, it's inadequate PPE. I don't think we knew how much PPE would be so important this year when you know when March uh, 10th of 2020 um, just thinking about that and how many workers were were unable to get um, adequate PPE and that's you know from home care workers who didn't have let's say if they're a personal care attendant didn't have a centralized workplace to get it and so they were struggling to you know, get surgical masks and gloves as quantities were limited, um, because they work directly with their consumer or nursing homes, which have been the hardest hit during this pandemic, um, have the same issues. And so just thinking about inadequate PPE, staffing challenges that were there prior that have, you know, have remains, um, The fear of exposure, you know, far too many um, healthcare workers have been exposed and sickened by this virus. And for many did not have, were excluded by the CARES Act for additional emergency paid sick time. And so that is not just about being able to take your time to quarantine and isolate, but it's also meaning you're burning out your own paid time up and, 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 in the middle of unprecedented times, so they couldn't take time to care for themselves. And, you know, the other side is those who had reassignments. Let's just thinking about our hospitals and health centers as elective procedures were um, canceled. So we've seen reassignments. So going to another part of the um, hospital that you may remain um was uh, not your... Uh, expertise and just having to deal with training on the job in the middle of a public health crisis, and also those who were furloughed. Um, their their thoughts weren't necessarily about the virus; is about how are they going to pay for um, their bills. And so it's it runs the gamut when we think about what these workers have faced. Some of them, again, were exacerbated exacerbated by COVID, but majority of them were not created by COVID. And as we um, move forward, we have to, I think, reconcile that and say, if we are honoring these heroes, we have to honor them with action.
2: I know 1199 has spent a huge part of the last year advocating and pushing for sick time coverage, for for health insurance for these people, for proper staffing, um, for inclusion of their voices in the decision-making. Do you think after all of this and all you've gone through is some of that gonna finally start happening? And I think hazard pay is another
3: one. I think, yes. I think there's a finally, you know, when we talked about this in the beginning that we're all in this together. And how do we keep that happening going forward? That we're, you know, we went through the most traumatic year as a country, and how do we keep moving forward to honor those essential workers, including healthcare workers, with the benefits that they need? We we've seen it now just this week with the American Rescue Plan, um, the emergency paid sick time at the state level, where now we will have. Workers are getting five, uh, what is it, 40 hours a week, uh, 40 hours of sick time. Um, you know, this is something that we've been fighting for this entire time um, and it's finally happening and we just have to keep that steady drumbeat. And so as people want to, I think, uh, move forward and view that the vaccine as the cure all for everything, just keep reminding people that the inequities in our healthcare system are not going to go away with a vaccine. There takes it takes work, and that's at every level. And um, I hope, hopefully, um, the community as well as the um, workers that we re- represent are continue to fight for these things because it's important.
0: So this week, uh, SEIU announced the Healthcare Hero Bill of Rights. Um, w- can we talk a little bit about what's included in that, but also why it was important to establish a bill of rights for healthcare workers at this time?
3: So we knew over this entire year, we've heard from our members and leaders about what they were facing. And we didn't want it just to be a conversation about what we're facing, but what we're going to do about it. And so our membership created this Bill of Rights that outlines eight demands to really strengthen our care system, strengthen our caregivers and the care that they provide. Because our public health system has been through it all, and we want to make sure that the caregivers that going forward are protected, are honored. And so that includes essential wages, quality benefits, appropriate staffing and care team planning, a safe work environment. And so when we talk about a safe work environment, that means... um, You know, the virus, but also things that other things that um, like respect and dignity, um, ensuring people are absent of abuse and discrimination at the workplace, Um, responsible employers. We want employers who care not just about um, the bottom line, but also the, the workforce and the communities that they serve, education opportunities and career advancement. Um, I think I've talked so much about infection control this year, and we just want to make sure that we are ensuring that the workforce has the tools they need to, to provide adequate care. Um, a seat at the table, our voices, and our experience is important. Um, I think this year has shown that. And so as we go forward, we want to make sure that workers have a seat and are being heard um, and a right to form a union. Um, I think we've seen it with. Um, across, it's you know, where it's happening in Alabama with Amazon and other, there's an interest in reinforcing that there is power being united. And so we're seeing that, and that's why it was really important for us to shape this narrative, not just about honoring the past, but really taking action in the future.
0: And I feel like it goes without saying, these seem like basic tenets, that it is almost... Well, it's unfortunate, but um, that this would have to even be put in writing that people should be in a safe work environment, have a seat at the table for just appropriate staffing. I mean, things like this, which brings us back to the point you made earlier, which is, you know, the COVID pandemic certainly brought about new challenges in the healthcare system, but a lot of what it did was bring to light or exacerbate challenges that have been there for decades in some instances.
3: And we've seen that just with nursing homes, you know, the CNA shortage because of such low pay. And that's what we have to fight for, for not just for the workers, but those they care for. We just think about the residents impacted by COVID and going forward, we need to honor them by ensuring that their caregivers are there to take care of them going forward. And that is essential wages, especially um, so they can... Not just be at minimum wage, um, but because these are not minimum wage jobs; these are jobs that caregivers um, uh, rely on to take care of their own families, and so we want to make sure that people are able to thrive.
2: Even when the state was having trouble getting its vaccine act together, and they're they're doing much much better now. Eleven ninety nine was was doing a really good job of getting your workers to central locations for big vaccination programs. A lot of your workers, are the, the vast majority are, are black and brown. Most are women. Um, you've been vaccinating at a very high rate and doing a really good job. How have you dealt with vaccine hesitancy and, and how are you doing on getting that workforce vaccinated?
3: So we did a poll, um, 1199 did a poll early in December just to get to understanding who are the trusted messengers, what is the information that our members needed to make an informed decision for themselves and their family. And that poll shapes our union-wide Get Vaccinated Communications campaign. And so we wanted to make sure that members got the information they need and that was through digital ads, mailers, emails, and just photos of their fellow co-workers getting vaccinated. Um, so that has been running since uh, December because again, all of the healthcare workers that we represent were in phase one in Massachusetts. And so we wanted to make sure that they're not getting it from their employer. Um, they were getting it from a trusted resource, which is their own union. And so we've been um, really uh, focus on making sure it's culturally competent, but it speaks to the issues that were raised about side effects, efficacy. Um, so I think we've done a really great job, and that's because of our members informing our next steps. And, you know, as we continue to go forward, I think the next step is the barrier to get, making sure that everyone has access to the vaccine. Um, you know, in nursing homes, the federal contract with the pharmacies has ended. So many of the workforce who chose to delay, or new workers, um, are entering the queue just as everyone else to um, go through the state's website. Home care workers always had to go through the state's website to get the vaccine, and so we want to make sure that we are providing um, support to fill in those gaps as the state improves their rollout um, plan. Because this is really important. There caring for seniors and pe- people with disabilities and also caring for themselves. And so we wanna make sure that they have the right information to make an informed decision for themselves, but also have um, the ability to get the vaccine when they're ready.
0: Um, under President Biden's $775 billion dollar plan. Billion with a B. Billion- <laughs> Hey, that's a, a lot of um, To boost the caregiver economy, workers would see a lot of what you're, you've been talking about, better pay, training, better benefits and support. Um, but, you know, federal, the intentions at the federal level can sometimes get a little mixed up or washed out or confused when it starts to break down. Um, what does Massachusetts and, and, you know, other states for that matter need to be doing to ensure that. This money is going to workers in the way it is intended and used appropriately or to the best.
3: So, yes, we definitely appreciate um, the Biden administration to highlight home care workers and family care um, workers in their care plan. And hopefully this will be a critical piece of um, the next legislation, which is the American Recovery Act. And so. Yes, just if and when that is passed, we know that advocacy doesn't end there. We, <laughs> you know, we're like we're hoping because you know we can rescue America, but we now have to recover, and that has to be equitable. And just thinking about some of the hardest hit industries, home care and childcare, um, we want to make sure that these invisible heroes are getting their due. And our um, so we do can we will continue to have to hopefully advocate after it's passed at the state level to make sure that funding with the Baker administration and health and human services and in the legislature that this hopefully new federal revenue, um, to finance provider rates increases, um, provider rate increases, um, are tied to workers, wages increases and pandemic pay, um, Along with robust state accountability and oversight standards, um, as any state budget provisions that fund grants for new worker training initiatives, retirement accounts for these workers, healthcare coverage for these workers, um, and then also systemic reforms in these areas. So all of the things that we've mentioned about essential wages, quality benefits, educational opportunities, and advancement, we're going to have to continue to advocate that that funding goes to those workers and um, that we have responsible employers that pay fair wages uh, to these workers. So um, unfortunately, our work continues, even if the legislation is passed, which fingers crossed, because we know that this is just the beginning. When we talked about the recovery plan, there were things that were missing, and that one of that is, um, you know, additional funding for home care and um, child care providers, and so the work continues.
0: Lots to be done. Um, well, thank you very much, and again to anyone who uh, is listening and is curious. Eleven ninety nine SEIU represents, um, you know, just so many frontline healthcare workers who don't always uh, get grouped in to the the heroes as everyone else. And um, thank you for joining us today.
3: Well, thank you for having us and Katina, to lift up these workers' voices.
2: Thanks, Marisha.
4: Two minutes with Kay on.
0: Two minutes with Tom.
4: Hey. Um, good morning. Good morning to you too. Kind of taken by a David Brooks article in the New York Times today about the, the life-changing aspects of this president. When everybody expected him to be the reincarnation of, of Barack Obama, what he's turned out to be is somebody closer to Ronald Reagan in reverse, changing people's life. Um, this is from, you know, a more moderate Joe Biden through his, you know, through his early years in government and politics, uh, working for the middle class, the blue collar worker. Um, now he's changing the lives of people in poverty, you know, just with the, with the $1.9 trillion package, the stimulus package of last week, what what's incredible is he cuts child poverty in half. Just think about that. He cuts child poverty in half. Beyond all the care he's giving to hospitals, to schools, to those in need on the front line, uh, to those who are unemployed, uh, but have, a, have an understanding that they're going to go back to work. I mean, this is a this is a real life changing moment in time, spearheaded and provided by the leadership of Joe Biden. I find it terrific, to be very honest with you
0: it has been i agree read that story sort of had the same that it's pretty big he's altering the way we have been as you know a federal government really
4: mm-hmm.
0: for decades trying to address poverty and he's essentially saying it's we're no longer going to rely on the rich to invest in our economy and bring us up what we need to do is help the people who have been ignored and left at the bottom and bring them up, yeah. and it could be a game-changer, right? I, I mean, I think that's the hope.
4: Well, that's the idea, and, um, you know, to watch this this transition of policy in a man who he has kind of, kind, kind of spent his life paying attention to the middle class of America, now he's not only doing that, he's helping out the poor, and he's doing it in a transformative way, and I am just taken by it, to be very honest with you. I, um, you know, this is like FDR with the New Deal after the you know, the Depression and after the Second World War, putting people to work. Um, and that's what he's talking about when he talks about, you know, his, his, his package for infrastructure. It's about putting people back to work, getting people out of unemployment, giving people hope in America. Again, it, it's good stuff.
0: Well, what it strikes me, too, is people often criticize and and did criticize uh, President Biden for having been in this Washington bubble for too long, right? Mm -hmm. Just been in politics for too long, and that's not what we need. But he's sort of demonstrating right now the value that comes in having done this for so long in different offices, um, at different levels of government. He has seen on a you know, on a state level, on a federal level, um, what has worked in some areas, what hasn't. And he's sort of, it seems, bringing all of that to bear to say, let's think about this differently because I have watched all of these policies and plans not do what we had expected it to do. So it's like it's experience really coming back full circle in a positive way.
4: The other thing that happened this week was, was, the fact that he never took his eye off the ball while all this was going on in Congress, he never took his eye off the ball as far as COVID-19 was concerned. And he held, held out the promise of the hope that July 4th would be the coming out day for America to celebrate. You know, it's an independence, but do it in, in small clusters um, yeah. without protection because by that time, everybody, certainly most of Americans, adult, uh, adults will have been vaccinated. And feel as though they've, you know, they've got a bulletproof attitude about COVID-19, and it's in its rearview rear view mirror. So the brighter day that we've always been talking about, you and I, on these kind of finish-up seconds of two minutes with Guyan. You now, the brighter day is, is before us because of the legislation passed this week for stimulus purposes for the economy. Number one, but you know, the the, the hope and promise that we have something by early summer will give us all hope. Good to talk to you, Cayenne.
0: You too, Tom. Thank you.
4: Two minutes with Cayenne. Thanks, Gap.
0: Tom. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.